Politics 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, sitting at the captain's seat, and I'm in the studio and on the bridge with Ensign David Sabal. Better call me a science officer this episode. You're going to be a science officer? <laughs> this is going to be a heavy science. Are you going to explain some time travel to us? <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I'll explain the writing. You can explain the science. science. See, we're a great team. <laughs> You're my science officer, Dave. Exactly. I'm going to be the science officer. Here, are, you, this are you wearing your blue shirt? Uh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. I'm wearing my red shirt. Hopefully I don't die. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 7, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And I, I love that title again because magic to make the sanest man go mad not only is it obvious what that title means but also it's one of those episodes that you're scratching your head you're oh, like this was this was the episode that had everyone scratching their head yeah because the time whenever you throw time travel in especially something like this you you have to think you have to think about and even though they managed to take something complicated and kind of simplify it down to uh in order for regular mainstream audiences to understand and grasp so that they don't sit there and say, well, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, uh, can someone <laughs> turn into Archer? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I have no idea what happened, but my dad, my, my daddy, my daddy used to fly a, a, a remote control enterprise. Is that kind of like that? Is it kind of like that? I don't know anything about time travel, but my daddy used to teach me how to fly a remote control enterprise. Now, if it's something like that, then I might understand. Maybe that's why an enterprise. I don't think we ever saw time travel in enterprise. Oh, man. I don't think. Yeah, why do you got to bring up Archer? <laughs> Come on, Archer is silly, but he is. I liked him, but it was just he was. He, like, we always talk about this, but yes, he was very simple. He was simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got to get into this episode, Dave. Um, yeah. This week's episode was directed by David Barrett and written by Aaron Eli Coletti and Jason Jesse. Jess, sorry, Jesse. Jesse Alexander. The synopsis is. As the USS Discovery crew attempts to let loose at a party, an unwelcome visitor comes aboard, bringing about a problematic and twisted sequence of events. Now, can I just say that I'm slowly falling in love with Tilly? I think everyone is. I don't know what it is about her, but she's not, not only is she just bubbly and fun and Star Trek, but she's also kind of hot, right? Like, what's up with, is it the fiery red hair? Am I being sexist on the show? I think it's the nerd girl aspect. Is it? it? It has to be. We've never had a girl quite like her in Star Trek. We've always had the, 
I want to say the centerfold model type chick. And she's definitely not that, but she's equally attractive. Yeah. She's very different type of casting for the what we're used to seeing in Star Trek when it comes to women. Now, her personality is full on Star Trek. She fits into that archetype. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, no, absolutely. I think this is I think honestly, Tilly feeds what fanboys really want let's hold let's hold this we, yeah. we don't want to turn this into a you know a <laughs> masturbation, masturbation fest. Fest. <laughs> okay so what i really like as a fat boy is i love telly's fair skin and her red hair <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah let's not do that all right so anyways this week's episode david had very very strong notes of old trek from years past taking a break from the main myth arc of the season and giving us a kind of a villain of the week type episode. Yeah, it kind of really surprised me this episode. This episode, it was kind of jarring, especially like we got left on such a cliffhanger. Yeah. In the last one, I was expecting, OK, they're going to continue it on and everything else. and We're going to see what's going on. And boom, well, all of a sudden we're. We're in kind of like this episode that kind of stands alone by itself. Yeah. And. Not that I have a problem with that. I feel like it worked. But to have a shift from a serial to an episodic television episode was something very different and unexpected because we kind of had we had this idea of what Discovery was going to be about. It was going to be serialized. It was going to be darker themes. And so far, definitely, I would say that's the 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 main tone the main feel of the show i understand what you're saying because like ever since we first started with uh brian fuller started discovery he initially said that this entire series was going to be serialized and then of course we all know that brian fuller left and had to uh was replaced by even though it was like his own staff he still i think this is where we got our starting are starting to see the difference in the series when Brian Fuller left. Yeah, and, and maybe not even the differences. This this could have been, I mean, as we know, Fuller, for the most part, based on all of the reports that have come out, um, Fuller did pretty much plan the entire first season. It was it was all written out. Yes, yeah. I'm sure there's rewrites and, and changes that need to be done. Obviously, we have other writers, and Brian Fuller hasn't been credited as a writer since, I want to say, the third or fourth episode. So obviously there are some changes. However, I think he had his plan laid out of, of what he was going to do. But this is definitely an example of modern television done right, where you can still stick to the, the serialized stories that a lot of modern day audiences are used to, but then also give us something like a one-off to kind of bring back the original feel of trek a bit more to make it yes. to bring it stronger not because i'm not on that side where people think there's a lot of people saying that this isn't really star trek you're just putting the name on it and, and and hey it's star trek i completely disagree with that if people have listened to our broadcast since we've started we have explained and analyzed every reason as to why this is in fact star trek but overtly for the casual viewer who doesn't really go into the ins and outs of the writings and what things really mean and what's being said, this is a very overt, in-your-face version of, hey, guys, here's your track episode. We're not masking it and anything else. This is it, it, it. What you see is what you get. Yes. And Harry Mudd, worthy adversary and Trek villain. And I'm going to pose as a question because 
we discussed this a few weeks back, David, and we both adamantly said he's not really a villain. Yeah. He could be the tangible obstacle for that episode. But is he a true villain? And we both said no. However, the antics that he went through this week, I would say, throws him into that category of that famous archetype of Trek villains that we've come to love. Would you agree that he played into that archetype? Yeah, it was really. And do you have a problem with it? I don't have a problem with it because, like, here's the thing. I liked the portrayal of Harry Mudd thus far. and He's it's, so good, man. It's, it's Holy really hell. good. And at this point, you know, uh, someone actually pointed out that Harry Mudd actually, you know, is was more thought of like a con man. And kind of like almost a comedic character. Right. And he still, he, and he still, still is. He still has, I wouldn't say comedic. There is still a bit of a, a satirical aspect satirical, to his, yeah. to his delivery and how he delivers like his, his words and his demeanor. But he's definitely not that, that comedic, the comedic character he was in the original series. Yeah. And, and I think for obvious reasons, they couldn't do that. I don't think it would transition well. Yeah, it wouldn't translate. Would it translate, translate well to modern audiences? It would just and come off as kind of buffoonery and a little campy. Give give a lot of props to... Uh, I, it's Rain Wilson, right? Yep. Rain Wilson absolutely has been knocking it out of the park, giving this character a lot of depth and backstory. Kind of like... Giving him giving him a ba- uh, a believability background. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if if people are doubting the Discovery writers and the amount of research they're doing, the writers most definitely analyze the Trek baddies from years long gone and isolated key traits, key character traits that d- make the true defining value of a Star Trek villain. Really? And this character. The backstory of Mud, I mean, holy hell. I mean, if he doesn't fit into that Trek villain archetype, then I don't know what is. Well, or what so, does, I should say. I know a lot of a lot of fans are like going, he's more he's more sinister than a lot of fans like, but you gotta also throw the throw this at the fans is like you're talking about a character who just the last time we saw him was being tortured by the Klingons. First, you also, yes, exactly. You have to remember the circumstances and this in the current situation he's in. This doesn't define who he's going to be down the road. This defines his vendetta towards Lorca. Not Starfleet. Yes, we already understand he has a specific view or perspective and he, you know, shared his ideology on how he felt about Starfleet and the Federation and how they don't bother to look below as they fly by with their progress. And that was genius. That was a great way to set him apart and also analyze Starfleet and, 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 um, and their agenda and motives. But now he's transitioned to a character that was left behind in a brutal prison by a person who's supposed to care about everybody. Yes. And he, now we're dealing with those circumstances that turned him into that. So I'm okay with this person being vengeful towards a specific individual, which was Lorca. Yes, he kind of went off the deep end and started killing people in this time loop. He was uh, he put everybody in. 
but I still wouldn't say this truly defines who he is later when we when he um, uh, encounters the Enterprise crew and Captain Kirk. And Captain Kirk, yeah. So, regardless, I like what they're doing. I do. I think it works so far. Um, and I have to say, this episode is the most Trek episode we have had yet. I mean, they took a very dark concept and made it a bit lighthearted. And when I mean concept, I mean the entire concept that Discovery was kind of built on. Uh, the antics that Harry put the crew through reminded me a lot of the things that other intelligent or ingenuitive creatures that our Trek crews have encountered in years past. Yes. He reminded me a lot of those. It was very familiar. And and when I say this was the most Trek episode, I'm not saying I didn't feel Star Trek Discovery hasn't been Trek because, as I just said, we have definitely been on board the discovery train since it left the station and we keep saying this is very much trek but when i'm talk what i'm talking about is the 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 overt trek the feeling of hmm lighthearted levity levity yeah and that's kind of what this episode brought to to discovery it's brought the levity that it has that we have not experienced quite yet except in 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 little bits and pieces by way of Tilly. Tilly. Yeah. And like, for, I totally agree with you because like the first, when I watched this episode for probably the third or second time, I finally actually started seeing like, it had a pace and it had a tone similar to the next generation. Yeah. And it reminded me a lot of like how that, as you said, they took a dark tone and put some levity to it. And the thing that I thought was really interesting was the fact that uh, the the use of mud in this uh, in this episode is kind of like that Trek stereotypical villain was very well done, and it was different because let's not you, use stereotypical. Let's use archetype. Archetype. Yeah, because stereotypical sounds a bit negative. Now you don't have any negative feelings about this episode, right? Uh no, I okay. don't have any All negative right. feelings about it. It's just the fact that when I looked at Harry, uh, when I saw Harry Mudd, the thing that I really liked was the fact that in the past, these like archetypes that were that we're talking about usually are like godlike beings. Right. Harry's not a god. No. That, and that's what I really dug about it was the fact that Discovery has a way of actually taking things that I don't know, like especially like time travel. They're dealing with science and stuff like this, and they're really bringing it down so to a human level. Yeah, I agree. And and despite the fact that it's not godlike, like we've seen a lot in even the original series and Next Generation, the TV series themselves, not the movies. But at the same time, we always kind of bounce back and forth between godlike and then highly intelligent. Highly intelligent. Look at, for example, Khan. You had even Cybok, even though people hate him and like to pretend he doesn't exist. <laughs> I am Team Cybok. <laughs> I am Team Cybok too. But but these villains do have things in common you even what chang general chang general chang yeah so there was definitely those similarities and that's why i said that the writers obviously understand their trek villains because that's kind of who they're molding rain or uh wilson rain's portrayal of mud they're molding his portrayal into things that we've seen in the past that's worked with star trek fans which makes me wonder how many times are we going to see harry mud because 
I'll be honest. Uh, going into Discovery, I didn't think we'd see a no, lot of Harry Mudd. I agree. I'm surprised we saw him again so soon. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I think there's room for him still. However, the way they ended this week's episode, it felt kind of finite. Like, we're not going to see him again. They kind of set things in motion for when we really do see him in the original series. They kind of put him in place where he needs to be. They move the parts, the moving parts where they need to be so that everything's right for when he's supposed to encounter the Enterprise crew. However, they can easily deviate and explain away and 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 then place him in his position again so they don't mess up canon. Well, the interesting is like I'm really interested after this episode is what is going to happen between Lorca and Mud? I don't know. We, know. we know now that basically Mud has a heavy vendetta against Lorca. Yeah. So that's his main focus. Yeah. It's Lorca. It, it's not the Discovery crew. He has nothing against them. Are you hoping for a little uh, arch nemesis there? Yeah. Because like, every captain has every his arch nemesis. Every captain has his, his arch nemesis. His arch nemesis. And sometimes the arch nemesis may not be a villain of sorts. It just might be that individual that individual in questions, arch nemesis. Yeah. And that's what hmm. I'm, I'm trying to figure out is that's why after this, I'm like going, is, is mud going to stick around? Interesting. Because especially since the discovery crew at the very end, let him go. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, really? You Okay. Well, he really, he's going to come back. Technically he didn't really do anything. Right. I mean, <laughs> he did do it. <laughs> everything was reset and, and fine. So, but Dave, you know, moving on just a bit, despite the levity that this episode brought to Discovery this week, they still took the time to tackle some very personal and intimate moments as well as we saw with Burnham. So even though they said, hey, let's bring in some really strong elements of Trek, but also let's not have this episode knowing that we only have a few episodes left, really. They have a shortened season order when you compare it to Trek series of past. So, hey, we don't really have time to completely do a complete standalone episode. Let's also build our characters up at the same time. And that's something they were able to do simultaneously while they're giving us kind of a, a bit of a, just a regular episodic run of Trek. So we're going to get into that because there is a lot to break down in that regard specifically a fan theory that's tied to a few of our characters and david i am not into fan theories <laughs> i hate them you know this about me and all of our shows that we do when we get to the fan theory element i usually either a don't even go over it or you fire it with torpedoes or b i destroy it and i fire it with torpedoes thank you <laughs> i might even do a, a mud maneuver and just wave my hand and teleport <laughs> and teleport it into space teleport into space <laughs> but there's a fan theory that makes a whole lot of effing sense. And not only does it make sense just because it could work within the story, but also there's actual facts and research done that backs up this fan theory. And I'm not talking about facts and research done when it comes when reg reg with regards to the story itself, but with regards to behind the scenes things that are happening on the set of Star Trek. And that's the difference between good fan theories and bad fan theories. Yeah. Now, I don't want to ruin the show for anybody because this could be potentially a big spoiler. So what I'm going to do is at the end of our show, when we've discussed the entire episode like we do each and every week, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back and I'm going to have red alert on. 
and you guys can sign out then if you don't want to hear this theory. Again, it's a theory. It, it hasn't been backed by anybody on the set of Star Trek, but it may. You people who don't want those types of fan theories that may destroy the story down the road for them, then I'm going to allow you guys to sign out before I, I get know. into it. So on that note, first bit of news this week before we break down this week's episode. Recently, a album, a short album of unused Star Trek Discovery themes have been released to the public for free. Now, this comes with an interesting story, Dave. Uh, apparently, Jeff Russo uh, is the, obviously, Jeff Russo is the official composer for Star Trek Discovery, which we've already broken down the theme and we love it. It feels like Star Trek. It feels good. But he wasn't the only one in the running. At one point, Star Trek Six composer Cliff Cliff Aleman was also in consideration huh. and thought it didn't. And, and unfortunately, it didn't work out well for him. He did keep working. Uh, apparently revealed on Facebook live chat earlier this week and reported by Trek movie Idleman, who composed the score again, according to IO nine, he, the man, the myth, the legend who composed the score for star Trek six, the undiscovered country was at one point last year in talks with this, the discovery co creator, Brian Fuller to work on the show. Unfortunately, when Brian Fuller left the project and stepped down as showrunner because of creative differences with CBS, Idleman also left the project, even though he was the one set to compose. And he put together several tracks, David, that was going to be linked to Star Trek Discovery, whether they end up being the actual theme or maybe the underscore when you're going through the, your your steps in the episode, who knows which one is which. Yeah. However, we have the tracks, okay, David? And I'm going to play them. Not all of them. We don't have that kind of time. I'm going to play two. And I want us to review them briefly and talk about them, okay? Because I, for one, absolutely love them. Okay. And they feel like the old Star Trek movies. It feels like Star Trek Undiscovered Country. I don't know if it would work with Discovery, at least now that I'm kind of used to this, the Discovery the theme. Yeah, and the tone. However, they are pretty damn cool. And what I'll do, Dave, is I'm going to post these on our website when our show goes on demand on our webpage. I'll also post these tracks so that people can... can uh, can scroll through them and listen to them at their leisure as well. But I'm going to play a few right now. Uh, this one is titled Into the Unknown. It's only a minute and 30 seconds. And we're going to talk throughout it, Dave. Okay. Definitely has a cinematic feel to it. Let it build, Dave. Let it build. All the pressure, the blood is rushing. And there it is. I see that right there. When it starts. See, right there, 
Dave, yeah. is what you hum. That's what you hum. Like we all do to Star Trek themes. Uh-huh. That that last 15 seconds, if this was to be the Discovery theme. Dude, I don't know, man. I really like it. I like it. It's definitely has like the feel of an old Star Trek series. It really does. And it's it's I don't want to say, uh, make it sound like it, this is a bad thing, but it's over the top compared to what we got. What we got in well, uh, the you're, original. You're right. That's or, a great assessment because the Discovery theme we have is very good, but it's also subtle. It's subtle. Yeah. This mm-hmm. one is like, okay, here comes the ride. Full, you know, full warp, hard, full hard warp <laughs> speed. Here we go. Yeah. I, I'm torn, man. Like, this is an easy decision. I don't envy this type of uh, job, like this aspect of a job for a showrunner, having to pick music. Like, ooh, this one's good, too. <laughs> this one's good. Like, how do you make a decision? You know what I mean? Yeah, All right, def- here we go. Here's the next one, Battle of Two Worlds. Dude, this one is equally good. I have to assume this is for the pilot. It would make sense. Klingons, listen to it. Klingon versus Federation Also has the theme there that he already set. Yeah. Which sounds a lot like something you would hear when Kirk's walking on the bridge. Here we go. Now we're fighting. Fire torpedoes. Fire torpedoes. Klingon ships are uncloaking. Or decloaking? Decloaking. Picture this during the Klingon scene. Yeah. This has to be the Klingon. Oh yeah. That's good, right? It's good. I I actually like it. Yeah. It fits. It fits that. It fits the Star Trek tone. I. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. I'm playing. I'm replaying the scenes in my head with the, that music in the background. Right. I don't know if it would work. Because it would take away that really darker. I don't know. It, it, I no. I agree with what we have. It, it may have. not work. It may not work. You got to remember, this was the song or the themes that were being worked on before they started rolling cameras. This is before Fuller left the show. So this might have been a very different Star Trek discovery if Fuller had stayed on in terms of tone. However, so, yeah. however, this does feel like a Fuller TV show. If you are, if you're a fan of Brian Fuller, it feels a lot like his work that he does. It's really interesting actually thinking about it, how like different the music would have changed the tone of the show. Yeah. Because if you, I still like what we got with the original, with the theme song that we have right now. Yeah. It's subtle. But it has those key notes that I think that really put it over the top as a Star Trek show. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I have no problems with the decision we went with. I'm just. I but also. Damn, I that, also that, like that these, man. Theme, that first theme works. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, Dave. We need to go to a very quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna jump into the ins and outs of this week's episode because there's a lot. There is a lot to discuss. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Slip the dogs of war. Everything! 
The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. There's always exaggerations of how he's going to build this wall or is it going to be a fence. I honestly with Alligator Boy. That's what we need to do. I think we need to do something like the Great Wall of China to keep the Mongols out. <laughs> you know how they did that? I think yeah. I think we should create the Great Wall of America. And have like fire sigils that you can light like yeah. and move on to yes. let them know that they're crossing. That would be amazing. <laughs> and then we have sentries walking all up and down. Like, the beacons are lit. Texas the- calls for aid. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to win the world, the world over, okay, just go the geek route. But if you want to get their vote and stuff, make the world closer to Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, you'll probably convert a fair amount of people. Yeah. There'd be, be cool. there'd be nobody complaining if he sold it like that. Right. Instead of saying, they're rapists, he should have called them like, they're like ring race. They're coming <laughs> over here. <laughs> the White to, Walkers. They're trying to kill us. The wildlings are making a run for it. <laughs> We're going to put up the wall. <laughs> Blow the horn, Frodo. Uh, and let's be honest, the Mexicans are like hobbits. I mean, they're short. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I want to hear you can finish this yes. comparison. Yeah. They're short. Donald Trump is sour. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Oh. All right, so Star Trek from the Holodeck offers additional shows for all Patreon subscribers. Follow us at patreon.com slash Digital and get more Star Trek discussions ranging from who's a better villain, Q or the Borg, Captain Kirk versus Picard. The classic argument. It's all covered on our Patreon exclusive shows. So head over to patreon.com Flash Rain Man Digital and pledge $5 or more a month and receive more shows. Ever wanted something so bad that you do just about anything for it? Well, that's exactly how we feel about you. That's right. AdamandEve.com wants you so bad. We're giving you 10 free gifts with your first order. You heard me right. That's 10 free gifts to spice up your love life. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, an adventurous toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. That's 10 free gifts for you shy types who've never tried Adam and Eve before. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code DEAL30 at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts, including free shipping. That's offer code DEAL30. That's D-E-A-L-30 at adamandeve.com. Energize. Welcome back, everybody, to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. If you miss any part of this broadcast, you can always find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck. Leave us reviews. Give us thumbs up. Tell your friends about us. And uh, also argue with us if you want on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter at from the Holodeck. 
we as welcome, well as trolls. We, not trolls necessarily. We don't like trolls, David. We like people who argue a bit and debate. We like we like intelligent debate. Remember, remember what Cybox said. Share your pain with us. Yes. And don't try to lose your pain because we need our pain. We need our pain. Makes me who I am. <laughs> Just like Kirk. All right. So today we're going to be breaking down Star Trek Discovery. But dude, just really quickly. Okay. You see the you see the theme song right now for Discovery? Yeah. Compared to like what we heard before before the break. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, it's tough. I know. I th- that this is, it is such a good theme song. Yeah. I, I know. It's hard to decide, man. Which one's better? Which you one's know what? Better? We should do a poll. You know what? That'd be kind of cool. I, I'm gonna do a poll on our. Well, I just almost threw up by accident. <laughs> too, too much to drink this morning, I guess. All right, David, you threw me off here. I'm burping. I apologize, listeners out there. Real professional broadcasting here. All right, so today we are breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 7, titled Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Directed by David Barrett, written by Aaron, Eli Coletti, and Jesse Alexander. The synopsis of this week's episode is... As the USS Discovery crew attempts to let loose at a party, an unwelcome visitor comes aboard, bringing about a problematic and twisted sequence of events. All right, so this episode has seemed to silence a lot of naysayers. Yes. Giving them a reason to extend their patience a bit further, allowing time for the writers to prove that this is, in fact, Star Trek. Of course. I felt like they've been on the right track since the beginning, but there are some that disagree with that. That being said, magic is without a doubt the most Trek of all the episodes thus far. And when I say that, it's not because I haven't thought we've been watching what we have been watching doesn't feel like Trek because it absolutely does. But like with every new iteration of Trek, there are variations. There are differences. Otherwise, we we would be watching the exact same TV show, the TV show for the last fifty years, and that would get really boring. Yes. Um. Specifically with this series, in regards to variations in Trek, uh, appetites have changed drastically. David, what worked on TV then will not work now, despite what people think they want. So the writers of Discovery are left juggling. They're left juggling. How do we make this series be something similar, but also fit the times that we are in? How do we pair this Trek, David? How do we pair this Trek with the palette of modern audiences? And I give you this week's episode. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Can I get a round of applause? <laughs> Come on, David. Applause. 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 Pass the Romulan ale <laughs> and the hot Vulcan women. It's pen far for everybody. <laughs> or pun far. Pun far for everyone. Pun far for everybody. Bring out L- Lorsa and Baytor. They were hot. <laughs> those, are the, those are the Klingon women as well. We're bringing all of them. We don't care. And Tilly too, please. Bring her Tilly. out. Yes. I mean, that being stated, Dave, this is in fact a perfect example of just that. The juggling that these writers are doing. Giving us a little bit of column A. A little bit of column B. Now, the writers expertly 
as we were saying at the top of the show, I need to catch my breath. I was too excited. <laughs> oh. The writers expertly bring back Harry Mudd, played by Rain Wilson, who I am an adamant. I'm adamantly looking for more work from him now after this. I mean, he is so effing good. And apparently escaping the Klingon prison and brokering a deal, Mud is adamant about seeking revenge on Lorca. Yeah. That was what the writers used this week to give us this episode. His plan, David, use time crystals to create a 30-minute time loop. Time loops. So he can investigate the ship and learn how it works before selling the discovery to the highest Klingon better. The only thing really standing in his way was Lieutenant Stamets' newfound abilities. And I like how they explained it all. I know that you said you enjoyed the episode, David, and you felt like you were a bit confused with not the science aspect per se, but with the time travel element. You felt like it was very fast paced. Yeah, because it, it reminded me of like, I was really worried once they started delving into time travel because I'm like going, we've seen time travel done in TV show and majority of the time it's done badly. And you know, I agree. It's it, in fact, I always tell people when we discuss shows and there's like rumors or speculation that the TV, this whatever TV show that we're talking about may in fact bring in time travel yeah. as an element to their next season story. And I'm like, nope, please don't refrain from using time travel because time travel is one of those those writing devices that are not used correctly. It's very hard to explain Time travel, it's almost like the chicken and the egg thing. Like, how do you explain which came first? And it creates a bunch of additional questions. And very few shows manage to deal with time travel correctly. And if you look at, like, TV shows, a time travel episode is basically them jumping the shark. It, it really is. It really is. And there are variations of time travel that has been utilized throughout the years of Star Trek. And for the most part, I would have to say that every version of Trek that used time travel has worked correctly. It has. Uh, there, it has. there has been things that have been able, they have used science to kind of explain away or even dumb down the, the science of it, which is really silly to say that, but it's true. it's true. Sometimes they use science to dumb down the explanation by using real science and it explains things away. And they kind of did that this week with the episode. Oh no, they did it full blast with this episode because here's the thing. Not a lot of people know about this, but the thing I like about so far about discovery, it's giving the audience a, a window into new science that's being studied today. French science. French science French has science. always been utilized in track and because the, the advent of the internet, we were so we're instantly privy to scientific discoveries so when they're pulling some of these headlines and using them we immediately like oh that is cool we just read about that yeah and i know you um know a little bit about the actual time crystal that was <laughs> that was actually introduced at first when i was watching the episode i was kind of like a, a vulcan time crystal i've never heard of this and apparently it's never been utilized a vulcan time crystal has never been never utilize in star trek i went through all the wikis i never heard of it and yes. i'm pretty damn up on my track 
Uh, but still, I wanted to do my due diligence and I went through all the wikis and I couldn't find anything. However, while I was doing my research from a science fiction perspective, I didn't stop and think for a moment that a time crystal was actually something that wasn't necessarily science fiction. Yes. And I found a few articles explaining recent discoveries of, well, I don't want to say discoveries, but inventions of time crystals. Now, uh -huh. can you read that article that I had up? Read the explanation of a time crystal. Uh, which one? Because I got multiple. Um, let's see here. Uh, the one that I had in our on our on our show notes. On our show notes? Okay. Time crystals in real life. It's from uh, Ber up, Berkeley's University. Let me bring it up real quick because I got to actually... Read that opening paragraph, Dave, for us and then kind of expand on it, the idea of it, because I'm not a science guy. I'm not. I've got an A plus in science, but I'm talking science like, you know, when I was uh, dissecting a frog. Well, that's, I, I got the, that's the problem. I, I'm, not I'm not an expert in like fringe science. That's the thing about like fringe science is like there's so much... I don't know, like, uh, it, fringe science is kind of like you're delving into things that are not really discussed in the open market. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Now, now I'm read, having a problem pulling it up, actually. Okay. It's, I'm gonna, not, it's I'm bringing gonna, me to, like, an error message. Okay. This is from Berkeley News, all right? The headline says, scientists unveil new form of matter. First off, that sounds like something from Star Trek right there. Yes. And this new form of matter is time crystals. Mm -hmm. To most people, crystals mean diamond bling, gems, or perhaps, you know, jagged amethyst or quartz crystals. To Norman Yao, these inert crystals are the tip of the iceberg. If crystals have an atomic structure that repeats in space, like the carbon lattice of a diamond, why can't crystals also have a structure that repeats in time. Yes. This is a time crystal. Hmm? In a paper published online last week in the journal uh, Physical Review Letters, the UC Berkeley assistant professor of physics describes exactly how to make and measure the properties of such a crystal and even predicts what the various phase, phases surrounding the time crystal should be, akin to the liquid and gas phases of ice. Yes. Now, I'm not going to go into it anymore because I don't want to turn this into a science show. However, once again, just like with the tardigrade, the Discovery writers are pulling from relevant headlines of scientific discoveries and inventions and utilizing it in their series. And this is nothing new to Trek. It's Star nothing. Trek has been doing this since the 60s. And the fact that Deep Space Nine got away from that a bit, they did couple episodes maybe one a year however once they went down that that dominion that dominion tunnel it was hard for them to kind of pull back yeah um i'm not i'm not belittling ds9 <laughs> it's one of my favorites <laughs> however like all of a sudden you just got like really quiet about that i'm like well, cuz i don't want so well, cuz i love d space 9 i'm yeah. not saying any bad about it i'm i'm just saying that they they kind of got away a little bit from that just because the nature of their stories and where they went with the show yeah i mean but, every every trick show had that moment yeah so i am just i'm just giddy as a star trek fan that they're doing this again and they're bringing back the realistic side of science fiction and that's something star trek has always boosted about or boasted about and 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 pounded their chests you know 
and bragged that, that their science fiction was always based on science fact. fact. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I really dug about this because it took me a second to actually find uh, find information just like you on this. But then when I did, I'm like going, huh, okay. So essentially, Discovery is treading on water that no other – because you got to understand that in a lot of TV shows in the past, there has never been any science behind the concept of time travel. Well – Discovery decided to see you. You mean traveling around the sun and ending up in 1980 San Francisco? <laughs> that's not explaining that's, it. That's not explaining David, it. David, they explain it. They go around the sun, sun. really fast. And it spins everything <laughs> around in reverse, apparently. Yeah. I, I, they didn't explain it in first contact when they um, got trapped in a stasis bubble. Or what was it? A, a time, a time, a bubble. temporal bubble. Yeah, a temporal bubble. That's what it was. A temporal yeah. bubble. And then they uh, didn't change around them. Time. Did it affect them? Them. <laughs> they didn't explain that? Yeah, they did. I, I sounds, it sounds like we're bashing. We're not. That's what I was trying to say. Star Trek has always managed to take science fiction and kind of, and just fact. kind of, they dumb it down by science. Yeah. They don't need to explain things in a movie that's not just made for Trekkie nerds like us. They have to make a movie that's easily explainable and digestible to also the mainstream audience who's audiences who go see the movies on the weekends. And the cool thing is, is Discovery just takes that, takes that idea ramps it up yeah to and, 100 and basically it just goes no we're gonna go science fact bam yeah. right in your face even if it's like science fact that's just been discovered say a year ago i know this was discovered a year ago i know it's awesome it's so cool i was so excited when i found this article because like i said i had i, I had no idea that this was based on actual you know something that was recently invented or discovered so when i was googling the science fiction aspect of it, because I was looking up Vulcan time crystals, other things popped up of recent discoveries of of time crystals. So it was actually really fascinating. And it just, again, it goes, it, you know, a lot of people are bashing the writers, some of the Trek fans. It seems to be split. And I, I just want to say this is this is a, this is one of those points where I want to defend the writers because they care. They care. There are certain things they can't worry about because you're dealing with a show that's in 2017 and you can't keep trying to make things fit perfectly with a show that came out in the 60s. In terms of story canon, yes, you need to stick to it. But yeah. in terms of like the way the ships look, I mean, you can't expect them to create you can't expect the production designers to put together a, a starship that looks like it belongs in the 1960s with the bright color palettes. It just doesn't work. It doesn't no. it doesn't look right. And people would probably laugh if they did that. They think they would be cool, but they'd probably laugh at it. It'll be interesting, though, if Discovery can pull it off, though. Because now, well, that being said, David, they, they are doing that. Yeah. They, they are eventually going to, as time goes by with the series, you're going to see the times kind of merge. They're going to try their best to take the production design of this time period, which is very similar to Enterprise as well. And they're going to kind of sync it with what we start to see in, in later Trek TV shows. So you're going to see the architecture slowly morph. Uh, you're going to see uniforms slowly morph. You're going to see weapons and equipment slowly morph into things that, that looked that look more like what we saw in the 60s. However, and skirts are going to get higher. Oh, higher. oh yeah. In the, for, for some reason, in nine years, they no longer wear those terrible pants. And, pants. They, <laughs> and the ladies start wearing short skirts. Look out, Tilly. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but we even see that we saw the same thing with the Trek movie as well, with the yeah. recent Kelvin timeline 
movies as well. We saw the same thing happening with um, with that, with the first one in 2009. You saw them wear something more similar to this. The color palette looked the same. The Enterprise looked very similar. The bridge, uh, the architecture, the design of the cost, the uniforms. But then we go, we now leap forward into, I believe, what, 2013 when Into Darkness came out. And what are they wearing? They're wearing the yellows and the blues, blues and the reds. reds. So they also changed and transitioned as well. So let's get back on track, Dave, with the science aspect. Um, let's see. Where were we at? Where were we at? We were talking about time crystals yes. and basically how Star Trek brings science fact to science fiction. Right. And they managed to do it in a way that is easily digestible and makes sense. Yeah. And it works for a TV show that's only given 45 minutes to truly explore the ins and outs of the episode. And the thing that that was only that was um, I want to say the only thing standing in the way of Harry Mudd and his. Uh, and his agenda or goal was the newfound abilities, abilities of Lieutenant Stamets. And this is something that you and I were speculating just a couple weeks ago when we noticed something was very off about Stamets. Yes. And we started wondering, well, what is he going to end up being? And we had some lame brain, you know, fan theories that he's going to end up being the traveler from next generation, which who knows? Who be, knows? It who could knows? still happen, uh, especially now that we know that um, he somehow became alien. He has the alien infused DNA. <laughs> yep. So who knows what they I mean the sky's the limit also but also at the same time they need to be very careful having a character like that on this show as a permanent character because it can create a lot of issues as to why he can't just fix certain things now. With a character with those type of abilities, how do you prevent how do you prevent a writing issue when you come a, across an obstacle and Common sense would tell the audience, well, just talk to Stamets. This guy is unbelievable. Well, that can do the, anything. That's the beautiful part about Stamets right now is like for right now, we can say that basically Stamets isn't. Yeah, he has the powers to do it, but he's he doesn't have them under control. Right. So just to say that he's an all powerful character. No, he's not. He could get to that. Yeah. But. Maybe that's what we're going to be watching him develop into. Yep. Right now. No, he can't do it right now. So he's limited. Right. And honestly, I liked what they did with it as well. Um, the audience through the writer's util utilization of uh, Burnham's perspective, we learned during the episode's opening sequence that Stamus has fully replaced the tardigrade monster. I don't want to call him a monster, but, you know, tardigrade creature. Ripper. Ripper. <laughs> Call him Ripper. As the Discovery's, you know, interdimensional navigator. And uh, because of this, he was able to kind of foil Mud's time travel plans and it didn't have any effects on him. So through repeated attempts, Stamets must manipulate the events or he did man manipulate the events in order for Michael Burnham and the Discovery's crew to finally foil Mud's plans. And this is this could have been a very ho-hum type of story, Dave, if they had just gone through those steps. Meaning... If they had shifted the story to Stamets' perspective, and this would have been a very different type of Trek episode. It would have, yes. Um, imagine if they had shifted the perspective, because so far, for the most, I'd say, yeah, no, most definitely, the entire run so far has been from the perspective of Burnham. Yes. Uh, that's how the show was pitched. That's how they've executed so far, and I can't imagine them switching it up. And if they had switched it to Stamets this week, 
all we would have gotten was like kind of a cat and mouse type game between Stamets and Mud, and, and we, yeah. we would have missed the development of Burnham's character. And the way they utilize it to where they maintained the perspective from our lead, which is Burnham, it allowed us to kind of get behind the wheel, at almost either behind the wheel or even maybe like a, a fly on the wall where we actually watch the mystery unfold and we're trying to figure this out as well. Because if we were just, if the writers chose to just shift the perspective to Stamets immediately, there would be no mystery. Yeah, and There would honestly, have been no mysterious element behind the events of this week's episode at all. And honestly, it with this type of episode, it's very... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of movies and TV shows that have tried to do this, and basically it gets compared to Groundhog Day. Yeah, and I think the thing, the beautiful thing that Discovery did was they didn't do that. They didn't turn this into the Groundhog Day episode, right? Because just like what you said, they kept the focus on Burnham. Yeah, Stamets, yeah, is an important part. He, he of was this the story. he was the writing device that helped weave the story. He was the he but, was the he was the tool that Burnham needed to use. Right. And that was the proper choice to do as a writer because yeah. that keeps your writing consistent and it honestly for me it it keeps the the tone and the 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 pacing of the entire story from episode to episode coherent and yeah. cohesive. Yep. I agree. It was interesting that the show's writers chose to keep it within the perspective because they could have changed it. I felt like it would have been a bad decision, but by not changing it and keeping it on Burnham um, through this mystery, we were able to discover a bit more about Burnham's identity and who she is as a person. Uh, if they hadn't focused on Burnham and used her as the investigative writing device, yeah. we wouldn't have received the additional layers this week in this week's episode, which, of course, was the intimate moments between Burnham and Ash and even the the secret that Burnham shared with um, Stamets. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of unneeded romance angles. I was going to ask you about that because, like, for me, it didn't feel like this was forced. No, you know, the, no, like, I, no, I agree. Oh, the romance aspect between Burnham and Ash didn't seem forced because you got to understand that Ash, much like Burnham, is the outsider. So she's going to feel connected to someone like Ash because he's put in a similar position that she's in. Yeah. You know, she's the outsider of the crew, regardless of, yeah, she's friends with, she's she has this growing relationship with Tilly. He's, she seems to be happier now being working uh, under the command of uh, Lorca and Stamets. But at the end of the day, she's still the mute, the first mutineer in Star Trek history. Yeah. And that follows her. Yeah. Same thing with with Ash. Ash is basically a, a prisoner of war. He's been an outsider this whole time. Yeah. It's been an interesting angle that they've been working at with the two of them. It's definitely worked. And that's why I was that's the direction I was going. Uh, so we're definitely on the same level here when it comes to this this aspect of the story this week. It wasn't an unneeded romance like uh, now if they were to make this the focus. I just I just feel like it's unnecessary in TV shows. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people, a lot of writers gravitate to because you can create all types of drama. And a lot of times this drama ends up being very um, immature. It doesn't come off 
like adult relationships come off or how adult relationships are really like in yes. actuality. So it served its purpose, you know, through this, these intimate moments, we were able to pull back or peel back layers from Burnham, uh, which at this point, we're seven episodes in. It's vital. We need to keep learning about this character and we need to have reasons why we're rooting for her and um, and on her team. And it makes sense, too, with Burnham, with with her secret, because you have to understand she's not Vulcan. Everyone has this idea that she's Vulcan. She's a human. Yeah. No pawn far for her. She's no no pawn far for her. Every day, I mean, like, sex day. Every day. So <laughs> that's the thing is like while she's while she's grown up as a Vulcan and acts like a Vulcan and people think she's a Vulcan, she's not. She's still a human being that goes through different that, that goes through chaotic emotions probably more than even the Vulcans. Because like if you think about it, a Vulcan a Vulcan person is supposed to be the epitome of logic and balance. He is not swayed at, swayed by his emotions. The only time that a Vulcan is ever swayed by his emotions is once in his life, and that is the pawn far. For a human being, it's every day. It's every day. 365 you have, days. You have emotions every day of your life. You may wake up sad. You may wake up. Horny. Horny. Yeah. <laughs> you may wake up you may wake up hungry. You may wake up happy. Vulcans don't do that. Yeah, I said that. Horny. <laughs> hungry and happy. Yep. Hungry and happy. Those are all the, the three, same thing. The three the three important H's. The, the three in life. H's. Yeah. The three H's in life. <laughs> so that's why I was like going. It made really great sense watching this character yeah. develop this way. Absolutely. And it didn't feel like the the writers were just forcing this, right? And it wasn't her just opening up, just to open up for for yeah. for the sake of opening up, because it wouldn't make sense for the character to just start being open and honest with people with her feelings. And this was a nice way for us to get an inside look into per, into Burnham's character and who she is without actually doing it there was a reason for it. she had to give up a secret she had to connect with ash a whole lot they had to speed up their relationship in a way that probably would have taken months to get there so she sped up these feelings he sped up her, his feelings in order to you know save the day and get rid of mud they had to be very open and honest right away they cut through all the red tape and the and the small talk and got down to what really connects people together. And it's those intimate moments and those secrets. So for all of that to work together to explore our lead, it was just a fantastic way for the writer to craft all those ideas together so that we can get those reveals. And not only that, guess what, Dave? We don't have to deal with it again because it never happened. It never happened. <laughs> it never happened. That's why this wasn't this was not an unneeded relationship, an unneeded rom romance. I think the idea of the kiss lost in time, it's a clever plot device to help tie these two characters together, but not have to go down that road. Yes. So now we understand Burnham. We understand a little bit of her intimacy issues. And guess what? We understand it. We know her. But it doesn't mean we have to go down that road now because, again, because of the time loop, we don't – it never actually happened. It was – it's just a great way to not have to deal with the ho-hum go-tos of romance that we see so much plagues – it plagues television. 
Absolutely. Everywhere. And listen, I'm a fan of romance shows. I'm okay with that. But, but their shows so done poorly. The shows have to be designed. There's a show called Outlander that's Ronald Moore, another uh, another uh, Star Trek veteran. Uh, Ronald Moore, who did Battlestar Galactica, wrote Deep Space Nine and Voyager, an amazing talent. And he's doing a show now called Outlander on stars. That show, for all intents and purposes, is a true love story romance. It's an amazing story. That's good, but because the show was designed for it. Yes. When you just throw in romantic ideas and and, episodes, and, and and relationships just for the sake of trying to create more drama and depth, it becomes very schlocky and immature. gimmicky and immature. It always comes off that way. And because it, it, it turns into almost like a high school drama. Yeah. And the way they did it works. It absolutely works. I cannot complain on how it would it was utilized. Uh, now, once again, magic. I want I want to I want to finish this finish us off, David. Finish us off with this last bet here. Magic, which is this episode. I'm condensing it because it's a very long title. Yes, magic is an absolute excellent example of how a standalone episode can work inside a serialized show. Absolutely. And breaking the rules of format television in years past, you you just couldn't do that without getting massive feedback from network bosses. Once you say your show is a procedural or your show is episodic or it's a serial, there's very little room for deviation. Yes, because the old network bosses are so set in their way and say, look, this is what your show is. Don't try to do this. This is what your show is. Don't try to do that. And this is the beautiful thing about being on CBS All Access and these new mediums we have, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, CBS All Access. We'll throw that in there as well. You have these new distribution platforms where TV shows have more freedom to do things. This is an example, David, of why Star Trek Discovery should be on CBS All Access because you have creative freedom. You have a bigger sandbox to play in. Oh, absolutely. Because – I don't think Discovery – I mean, we're in like what? Episode six? Seven. Seven. Episode seven right now. And honestly, a series like Discovery would not work on mainstream TV. It just wouldn't. You couldn't see this being done on, you know, channels like CW or stuff like uh, that. Shoot you me. just couldn't. No. Because it, it, couldn't, like, it wouldn't work. Because B- budget, budget, budget alone. Forget budget bu- alone. Yeah. But everything else too, it just these types of shows belong in paid television. Yeah. And and I'm glad they're not just giving us a show on like a lot of people complain that CBS is trying to line their pockets with more money. And you know what? A part of me is like, yeah, possibly, but if they had given us a ho hum regular Star Trek show that was kind of paint by numbers, it's stuff that we expect to see in Star Trek, I would have questioned the reason why it was on CBS All Access. But because of the creative freedoms and the creative liberties, I should say, Dave, that the writers are taking with this series, you can see that they are utilizing the medium. And that's what Brian Fuller wanted when he first sold this idea to CBS. He said he wanted to be on CBS, CBS All Access. He wanted to be on a, play, a paid platform where they can have more creative freedom to tell different types of of stories that are unique to Star Trek. And I think you're seeing that now with a lot of like the media nowadays is like a lot of shows now are really thinking of going, Hey, if we take our show to like a, a pay 
uh, pay to view channel, our creativity would literally unlock and we can make the show yeah. that much better. I there's mean, not as there's not as many rules yet on these these new distribution outlets. You know, outside outside of TV, if you look at like shows that basically came from BBC, say something like right. uh, Top Gear. Mm-hmm. Top Gear, they lost their the the host took their show, went to Amazon Prime, which was a paid of view, and they're they're pay, th- that show absolutely blew up Amazon Prime by their numbers. Why? Because they were allowed to do things that they were not allowed to do in under the under the flagship of BBC. And now you're seeing and now you're seeing other shows start thinking about that going, "Huh, let's take our show to a pay to view. Yeah, it would probably suck for a lot of our fans, but it allows us to actually tell more unique stories and our product won't become stale." Yeah. And that's why I like I love uh discovery because when you look at it it is not stale they are treading on things that i do not think that past star treks would ever tread on would ever tread on as deep as they have that's why i'm like going discovery is turned into kind of like this almost hidden gem and it it really does like make my head scratch and make me want to pound my head into the wall when i see people who claim to be star trek fans saying that this isn't a star trek show are you kidding me? Yeah. This is totally creative and basically taking Star Trek to a new new venue, heights, new, new heights to where we got to go. Yeah. yeah. After that, it becomes if you don't do that, it becomes stale and yeah. basically then you'll never see Star Trek ever again. And unfortunately, Dave, and I'm going to be, be very careful. Very careful right now, Dave. Stale is what happened to Star Trek. Yes. That's why it died. No, no. I, I totally agree with you. And, and that's why it died. That's why, unfortunately, even though I, I appreciate Nemesis, that's why the final TNG installment failed at the box office. It was stale. It was stale. Even though I enjoy it now, but at the time, it just felt like more of the same. It felt it wasn't anything new. Now, when I watch it, I enjoy it a thousand times more and I like it. And, and same thing with Enterprise. Enterprise was just more of the same. It, it They didn't decide to change what they were doing until the final two seasons the final two seasons of enterprise are some of the best star trek but the first two seasons already did the damage the damage was done it was stale it felt like we've been there done that you're treading too much on nostalgia let's move past let's tell new stories you're a prequel and yet you're relying on other versions of star trek before to tell your story you know what I mean? And yeah. this is what's totally different about Discovery. They're not relying necessarily on Star Trek things that we've seen to tell their story. Yeah, they're paying homage. They're they're pulling in some familiar faces like Sarek. But for the most part, they're not relying on what, what has been laid out in the past to tell their story. They're creating new stories and using original thought. And that's a, that's the success of Discovery. Now, bringing it back to this week's episode, Dave, the ending was so classic Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it felt weird because it was like watching a time warp version of the 1966 original series. Yeah. When you had, I mean, that ending is just something you just don't see in Star Trek. The way it just, the people be aboard, it, it became a little campy at the end. And it, and it kind of connected the mud that we know in Discovery and the mud that we know from the original series. series. Yeah. And it just felt right. It felt like they were blending those moments together. It just, it, it was such a great scene. Yes. And how they ended the show. It's, it is a really fun. It was a fun scene. 
and like this this brings this brings it back you have to be unique and you have to bring something unique and basically make sure the product doesn't become stale but you have to actually have some continuity to it there yeah. is a difference between there there is a difference between continuity and just keep doing the same product over and over and over and over again yep there's a difference continuity means that you keep the centralized story intact yeah and that's what they got to do that's that's the that's that's the one thing after this episode i'm like going how the hell are they going to carry this character from this point to original series when he meets kirk yep they're, yeah. they're so different but then at the end of the episode you start seeing it you start yeah. seeing that connection and then you see that as funny as it sounds the the title itself uh, can you read off that title again it's the man I, it's such a long title i keep messing it up magic to make the sanest man go mad at the end of the day harry mudd is a crazy individual yeah so this title ties to him yeah this is probably the point that you start seeing him descend into madness yeah it worked on a lot of levels. I, you know what? I don't think we need to go into final thoughts this week because I think our final, I think our thoughts were pretty, are made pretty clear. Yes. So on that note, Dave, we're going to take a very quick break. You know what? We're not even going to leave. I'm going to go into a live read and then we're going to come back and jump into the spoiler stuff. So David. To bring up shields. Yep. But first, do you want to get more Star Trek from the holodeck? Absolutely. Go, yeah, of course. Go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. When you pledge $5 or more a month, you gain access to hours of additional Star Trek discussions, ranging from topics on Q, the Mirror Universe, the Borg, and so much more. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital. Same thing we do here, but more of it. All right, red alert, David. Bring up shields. I'll give you guys 30 seconds to exit. 30 seconds to exit, right? All right, we're going to be getting into some fan theories (laughs) that some may consider... Spoilers. Again, it's a fan theory. There's no actual backing by people on the set of Star Trek. So if you want to hang on well, dude, and get a little can't back it up. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get into these theories here and h- hypothesize with us, then it may be fun. All right. I think that's enough, right? That gives some people that to sign out. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Now, there's a fan theory. It's crazy, but very believable. And as you know, David, I am not a fan of fan theories. Yes, absolutely. I dislike them. I think they equate to clickbait many times. Torpedoes are ready, Captain. Yeah. Whereas this one may not deserve torpedoes. We may want to take this theory and take it to Ryza and make love to it. Because it's a great... Is it Ryza 5? Is that the lovemaking planet? Yeah, Ryza. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to take it to Ryza. I'm going to wear those tight little hot shorts that Picard wore. <laughs> I'm going to make love to this fan theory. I love it. All right. So Star Trek Discovery fan theory. This is actually put out by Inverse.com. I'm going to give them their credit, what credit's due. They pulled these theories together based on other tweets. It's not their theory, 
but they pulled all the info from different Twitter accounts. Okay, so here's the theory, Dave. Are you ready? Are you ready, David? Ready. All right. So Lieutenant Ash Tyler may really be the Klingon Valk, disguised to look like a human. A new parody account on Twitter called Real Javid Iqbal. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the actor who plays Valk, allegedly. Okay. Strongly suggests this theory is 100% true. Plus a new or plus a few Trek insiders are retweeting the actor. And there's air quotes here. Are they in on the joke or has this theory basically been confirmed? October 25th, the Twitter account for Stella Star Trek Dog tweeted triumphantly, lovely to see real Aved Iqbal join Twitter. Again, he's allegedly the actor that plays Vok, even though there is no proof this man exists. There's no photos. And there's no information on his career. Zero. Even on IMDb. Nothing. Nothing. He's a quiet man in real life, but on set, he has a magnetism that one can't, con, these what she wrote, con, stop tweeting. Stop watching. Stella Star Trek dog is thought to be an account operated by Discovery Consulting producer Nicholas Meyer, who tweets out jokes and thoughts on behalf of his dog, Stella. And the tweet references the name of the actor who plays Vok, Javid Iqbal, who may nor what the who wrote this shit who may not actually exist. I apologize. All right. Lovely to see him join Twitter for those just getting caught up on this particular fan theory. It goes like this. The albino Klingon Vok, who took over as the new Messiah after Burnham killed Dakuvma in the Battle of Binary Stars is supposedly played by an actor named Javid Iqbal. The trouble is there's very little information about Javid Iqbal out there, and the actor hasn't been photographed outside of his Klingon makeup. Seemingly ever. That has to be a pain in the ass. The plot thickens when you recall that actor Jazid Latif, who plays Lieutenant Tyler, and I do remember this. I actually posted this on our website when he got cast. He was originally cast as a Klingon back in December 2016. Yes. Then in April 2017, CBS was announced Latif was playing Tyler. And Kenneth Mitchell was playing Cole. Still, Latif was slated to play a Klingon, and now people think he still is. Just one who is in disguise. Did everybody get that? Warp speed to the present. The character of Vok appeared in the first two episodes of Discovery and then again in the fourth episode in which it was revealed he was going to go live with secret Klingon matriarchs to do something mysterious in which he would have to give up everything. Since then, we haven't seen Vok, but Lieutenant Tyler showed up in the very next episode, conveniently in a Klingon prison. Supposedly, certain fans think all of this adds up to Vok and Tyler being the same person. And now the parody Twitter account for Javid Iqbal is doubling down on the joke. Every single tweet <laughs> shows Iqbal in full Klingon makeup acting like a normal person. Dude, the, the first picture that you get, I go, that's balls. Yeah. Now, Javid was supposed, this, this is a Twitter account. He tweets this out. Javid, the, the alleged actor that plays, uh, that plays, um, Vok. Okay. 
he tweets this out on October 29th, right after last this episode aired, this current episode aired. I was to I was to be surprise guest on After Trek tonight, but had to leave due to allergies. <laughs> so he didn't even show up as a guest on the show because of allergy. Yes. So this is why everything keeps getting fueled, because right now everybody has has spoken about Star Trek. Almost every single actor up to this point have has now done interviews except except this actor that allegedly plays Vok. He hasn't even been seen. Which is hilarious because like now that you mention it, I remember doing the research on Discovery and going, "Oh, I wonder who's playing Vok because yeah. he, he honestly Vok has actually been a really interesting character." And then all of a sudden I look at the IMDb, nothing. Yeah, so nothing now there. Let's let's get our thoughts out there, Dave. Are you inclined to believe this theory? It's an actual interesting theory. It's a fan theory. You know, like we were uh, when you bring it up, I'm like going, yeah, the last time we saw Vok, he was told he had to go and do give up everything. And we know this type of science, you know, facial reconstruction is nothing new in Star Trek. They have to explain why they look like humans. Oh, you think they're going to do... Oh! I think... Oh! oh. I didn't even think about, about that. that. Holy shit, you're right. They what? have to explain why was there a couple of them that look like humans. Oh, shit. Is this what happens? I'm telling you, there was something that Worf said to himself. We don't speak about well, this. Well, Enterprise also did the something flu. Remember? Yes. They explained... Uh, the mutation as being connected to the whole what a genetic uh, testing yeah like the human soldier are like kind of like the con but it was the Klingon version yeah and it went terribly wrong and, and created a flu that mutated them now they they say that it was a few that mutated them right what happens right. if the Klingons did this on purpose that's why they called it a flu because they don't want people to know that hey no, hold on. The flu happened in during before Enterprise yeah though. so this it allegedly the this flu already happened so they they might be trying to explain why they look like humans that's what i'm saying now if they're able to so far the writer this is dangerous if that's what they're doing this is dangerous (laughs) however so far discovery has managed to like walk that line pretty damn well but dude this is this leads into a question that basically everyone that's discoveries happen and they saw the klingons they're like like that doesn't look like the Klingons we know. Yeah, what if this surgery okay. somehow goes wrong and, and creates some type of mutation that changes the way they look? Who knows? I mean, that's what I just said. Sounds terrible, like a terrible idea, but it can be easily explained. Yes. Wow. I didn't, I didn't even think about that aspect of it, that they may use this. If this fan theory is, in fact, true, that he is a Klingon, they could very well use this exact thing to explain why the Klingons start to look so different. I feel like such an idiot right now because I kept thinking to myself, who the heck is Javid Iqbal? And you know what? I'm because on, I'm I went on... on IMDb and I was like, going, oh, he must be a new actor. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of cool. They brought in this new actor. And now that you bring this up, I'm like, uh, he doesn't he's exist, never David. been seen. He's never been seen outside of his makeup. That's so amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. David, if they pull this off, this will be single-handedly the best kept secret in television history i can't well 
No, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to double down. Yeah. Yeah. This will be the biggest secret that they've kept. If they can do this successfully, not only will it be a great reveal that he's Vok, but also imagine what it would do to burn him as a character. Holy crap. crap. She's falling in <laughs> love with her enemy. Yes. Jesus, dude. Holy God. This could, be, you, this could be great. It makes you wonder, well, what the hell did they do to Vok? Yeah. Because like. Man, he, he's, was told, he's playing the long game, man. Yeah. All Vok was told was he had to give up everything. And it sounds extreme, like maybe a Klingon wouldn't do it. However, we already know that he's from Jakuvma's clan or house. Yeah. And they're radicalized. They're highly radicalized when it when it comes to their religious beliefs. So Could when you picture if like it's something that basically he's a sleeper agent. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. This could very well be what ends up happening down the road. And I am on board this fan theory, especially now. I was already on board. But now <laughs> that this could be the very reason how they explain the Klingon appearance. Jesus, dude, I am on board. Oh, dude, I want... Now I wish they would just continue the joke in actual view and have that picture of whoever's underneath that mask show up and after the trek and do a interview. Yeah, with just the mask. <laughs> with just the mask. Yeah. That and would it, just be like a people would be going, God damn it. Yeah. Jeez, that is gonna be so cool if they if they pull this off. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I really do. I uh, I have to say this is actually one of those fan theories. That I am pleasantly intrigued with because yeah. usually fan theories are like, oh, God, that's OK. It's silly. We'll see if it happens Well, because there's actually investigation behind this yeah. fan theory. They're going and looking at casting announcements and realizing there's some discrepancies. So it, it makes sense to draw these conclusions. The some some is, fan theories are just pulled out of their asshole. And yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how they got that. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. The beautiful part about it. And I take pride in like my movie production knowledge. I didn't realize this discrepancy. I originally just thought, oh, Javid Iqbal is probably this brand new actor that they just hired on. And all of a sudden, I just thought about it. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wait a minute. Yeah. Why would they give a brand... Number one, why would they give a brand new actor doesn't even have a history worth anything? I know. Give him a major role. In a major TV show. Whatever it ends up being, it's definitely Star Trek Discovery is definitely doing their job. They're creating that <laughs> mystery and intrigue. Yeah, it is fun. Is You're fun. right. This is a uh, fun fan. Yeah. Thing. All right, everybody. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to us discuss Star Trek Discovery. We will be back next week to discuss episode eight, which is an episode that uh, looks like it's fo focused a bit on Saru and his origins which may be interesting as well. So hopefully we'll be back here next week discussing another excellent episode. Right, David? Absolutely. And may the... Uh, Live long may, and prosper. Yeah, there you go. Live long and prosper. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.